Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, everybody. My name is Rich Birch, the host around these parts. Today we have Alan Danielson on the line. I'm super excited to have him. This is one of those interviews I've been waiting for uh, for a while, and I'm just so uh, it's privileged to have Alan uh, on the show. Thanks for being here today, Alan. Thank you very much, Rich. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here, man. Nice. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to today's conversation because I, you know, I think we're I'm looking forward to leaning in and learning um, from you, Alan. Why don't you give us a sense of your background? Kind of, you know, what church are you at now? Kind of a bit of your background. You know, who is Alan? Well, uh, right now I'm at New Life Bible Church in Norman, Oklahoma, which is a uh, smaller church. We're kind of rebooting some things. It's a church in transition, and I've been there for about three years. We've uh, more than doubled in size in three years, running just over 300 people now. Um, Some exciting things going on in uh, the life of our church. Prior to that, I was on staff at uh, LifeChurch.tv in Edmond, Oklahoma, where I was in charge of small groups on all of their campuses, and um, uh, that was an insane ride. When I started at Life Church, we had about 9,000 people on the weekends in five campuses. When I left, we were running about 28,000 people on the weekends, and we had uh, 13 campuses, and I learned so much during that time about leadership and about small groups and about um, delegating and, and working with people over vast geographical, geographical areas and about multi-site ministry. It was just, uh, it was like drinking from a fire hydrant for four <laughs> years straight. Uh, one, of the, one of the best experiences of my life. And uh, prior to that, I've been in ministry for, uh, well, since I graduated high school. Uh, About two weeks after I graduated high school, I moved out of my parents' home and uh, moved to another state to be an intern at a church. And uh, I've never looked back. I've been working at churches now for 24 years. Nice. That's uh, that's a great thing. You know, I, I, I'm really looking forward to leaning in on the small group side uh, of things today because I know, you know, a lot of small group systems struggle at churches. You know, they just have a yeah. hard time. I think there are, you know, I've, I've heard from more than one church about the fact that, you know, we can get people to show up on a weekend, but then what do we do with them? Uh, right. We have a hard time getting them plugged in. Why is that? Is there kind of some common kind of themes why you think that might be in churches? Well, I, I think one of the biggest problems in small group ministries that, that I've worked with, and, and after leaving Life Church, I did a lot of consulting and still do uh, with churches, and what I've seen at, at many, many churches across the country is this tendency to cut and paste um, their, their small group models. They'll say, hey, we see something that works over here, and we want to try that, and then we see a little bit of something that works over here at this other church, and we want to try that. And, and so they just kind of cut and paste various things, and they smash them all together. And instead of having a cohesive system that really makes sense for their church and their culture and their DNA, they wind up with this um, you know, kind of mishmash of stuff from all kinds of other cultures and other DNAs, and then it doesn't work. And and sometimes they're stumped as to why it doesn't work. Well, the way I like to say it is, um, a, a cheetah does not hunt like an eagle because they have totally different DNA. Right. And if a cheetah saw the way that the eagle ate and the way that the eagle took care of itself every day and said, oh my gosh, I want to do what the eagle does, that cheetah would starve and die. Because right. God created that cheetah to be a, a cheetah. He didn't create it to be an eagle. And, and the opposite is also true. And uh, what churches do is, you know, God created them to be 
let's say a cheetah, and they see an eagle over here, and then they see uh, some a spider over here, and they look at other animals of prey, and they say, well, I want to hunt like those, and I want to incorporate a whole bunch of that stuff, and none of it works because God made them to be a cheetah. And so what I tell people all the time, you got to find out who you are, really understand your own DNA. And when you do that, then all of a sudden you can see what's going to work and what's not going to work in other areas, and you're better equipped to pick and choose some of those different approaches and models, and probably you're better equipped kind of to create your own approach, which is ultimately the best. Ah, I think that's a, that's a huge challenge for people. Obviously, understand uh, understanding yourself and your own DNA. How do you help? How does the church do that? How does the church kind of, you know, kind of get their arms around what is unique about us? Because you obviously have to understand yourself before you can even learn from other churches and right. what would work here. How what does that look like? Uh, well, there are in in various churches that I've worked with, all sizes, all denominations. I've found um, basically there's four areas that every church needs to look at and talk mm-hmm. about and think about and wrestle with um, before they decide what small group models they're going to take. And these four areas will help them understand who they are a little bit better. Um, so these are the what I call factors for understanding your own DNA. Um, number one is your growth or control bias. Um, Rick Warren once said, and this really stuck with me, you can structure for growth or you can structure for control, but you can't structure for both. Mm. And the mm. spiritual guy in me is is like, oh, I like that growth word. That sounds really good. But control, that sounds, you know, kind of anal retentive, and and um, <laughs> right. you know that that's not very spiritual. God is in control, and so I kind of lean towards this growth side of things. And a lot of times we have a tendency to hear those two words and say growth is definitely better than control. Well, I just want to kind of disarm us of that notion and mm-hmm. and um, bring a very spiritual side to the control half of that question. Um, control is about stewardship. It's about responsibility. Um, So there's a tension, and everybody in small group ministry understands this. There's a tension between growing a bunch of groups fast and getting a whole bunch of groups and then controlling what happens in those groups so that you don't wind up with people running off and, you know, having all kinds of crazy heresy and, um, you know, you find out about that one small group that's passing around the rattlesnake and, you know, (laughs) you want to avoid those kinds of things. And so we have this tension in ministry. We want it to grow, but we want to keep goofy stuff from happening. And um, everybody needs to recognize which one of those you have more of a bias towards. Uh, If you um, think about it like, uh, well, let me back up. Let me give you some very broad illustrations uh, uh, about growth and control. These are really extreme and nobody truly builds their small group ministries like either one of these, but it gives you a real extreme example to kind of see the difference. Um, On the growth side, you might have a church that says, we're going to start 50 new groups this year. Anybody in the church can start a group. All you have to do is sign up online and you start a group and then we're going to send people to your house. Right. Well, that sounds great, man. You have removed all barriers. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no hurdles to jump over. People will be like, yeah, I want to start a group. And so you might get a lesbian skinhead Nazi starting a group. Um, <laughs> and uh, you get all kinds of different people starting groups uh, in, that era, in that kind of world. And so um, uh, the great news is you've started a ton of groups. The right. bad news is, you know, wow, there's all kinds of chaos in the middle of this fast growth. And so um, the opposite side of that would to say, all right, the way we're going to start groups is before you can be a group leader, you have to have gone through our five-class church membership uh, course, and right. uh, you, then you have to be a member of the church for two years, 
and then you have to be an apprentice in a small group for one year, and after that, then you can uh, kind of beta test a small group with three people for six months, and after that, if you've made every possible, uh, you know, and passed our doctoral exams and our personality <laughs> tests, then we'll let you be a small group leader. Now, you right. can see there's good on both sides. One side says we want tons of people to get connected and into discipling and Christian relationships. The other says we want people to get into those relationships and make sure that they're good and healthy ones. Right. And so there is a tension. And um, churches need to understand which of those biases they lean mm -hmm. towards because on, a, on some level, whether we like it or not, we have to admit those two things are like oil and water. Right. So, uh, have you ever heard of a, um, a Newton's cradle? Mm, no. Uh, Newton's cradle, you've probably seen them. Everybody has. Mm -hmm. They're those little things that look like a swing set that used to sit on everybody's desk in the 80s and they had steel oh, yes. balls hanging right, from right, fishing right. lines. Yes. Yeah. And so, what happens when you grab a steel ball on one end and, and let it go? Yeah, it goes and it go. The, the energy passes through all the other balls and then the, the, uh, just one pops up the other end. Yeah, that's right. The kinetic energy goes through when there's no place else for the energy to go and moves that other ball out and then the ball comes back and you have this motion that does this over and over and you get this perpetual motion. And it doesn't matter which side you start with, does it? No. But what happens if you take both sides at one time and oh, let them go? It just stops. Yeah, the kinetic energy crashes into each other, and you have the equal and opposite effect, and boom, 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 all of a sudden you get nothing. Well, that's what's happening in a lot of churches, because they're trying to have an equal bias for both. They're getting no momentum. Right. But in the churches that I've worked with who intentionally lean to one side or the other, and intentionally, when it, when it comes time to make a decision and they're like, we're stumped, we don't know which way to go, if they understand their growth control bias, they'll almost always say, all right, we're going to choose on the side that we have our bias, and right. then they tend to get this momentum. Um, right. Saddleback Church, one of everybody's favorite examples, uh, is <laughs> definitely on the growth side of things. Saddleback has more people in small groups than they have show up on Sunday mornings. Right. And um, anybody can start a group. Now, what that means is they have some messes to clean up afterwards. Does right. that mean they're not controlling things if they have the lesbian skinhead Nazi start a group? No. <laughs> they step in and they intervene and they make sure that people have a good experience, but they're leaning on the growth side heavily. Right. Um, then there's Community Christian Church in Chicago, great multi-site church. Dave Ferguson's the senior pastor, and they have one of the most tightly controlled systems I've ever seen. And a lot of people have tried to copy and paste some of the stuff that they've done, and it doesn't work for them. And so I, I got to meet right. with Dave one day, and I was standing in the hall of his church, and I just said, Dave, why is it that your approach to small group ministry works for you and it doesn't work for so many others? And he said, because our church started as a small group with an apprentice in a dorm room and, and me as the leader. Mm -hmm. And that's the way our church right. started, and right. we've done everything that way ever since. So it really is who they are. Now, over right. the decades, they've grown to you know 60% or so of their people plugged into groups consistently. Uh, that's really great for them. Saddleback has doubled that percentage by going on the growth mm -hmm. side. Now, is one side better than the other just because there's more people connected? That all depends on what you define as a win. And your growth control bias will help you understand what you need to define as a win for your group uh, group ministry. Is a win about getting more people connected or is a win about creating more reliable, consistent, small group um, uh, environments that grow slowly over time? Both, in, both sides can have growth and control, but you have to make an intentional choice to, to uh, uh, pick your bias.
So, right. I, anyway, I that's a long that. answer. No, no, I appreciate that because I think that is really at the heart. Um, I know I, I would tend to be more on the growth side uh, right. of that bias, um, but I think I probably sometimes, if I'm completely honest, I just sometimes feel guilt about the control side. I'm like, ah, you know, maybe we just need to worry more about quality or control in right. those groups. Um, yep. And I think I can totally, you know, the I can see that when we're sitting in the middle of those two and we're making decisions that really aren't pushing one way or another, that's when we lose momentum. So that's the first of four. What were the other ones that you thought you were All right. listed out? The the second DNA factor is the senior pastor. Period. Okay. Um, uh, whoever your senior pastor is, you've got to understand his growth control bias. You've got to understand his doctrinal preferences. You've got to understand what he wants to see out of groups. And this is where some of the greatest tension in small group ministry comes because the mm. senior pastor oftentimes is so busy focusing on so many other things, and I understand this because I'm a senior pastor, that he doesn't want to mess with having to choose between growth and control and understanding all that stuff. He's just telling his small group guy, I want a bunch of new groups, and I want my group leaders to be solid. Right. Well, that senior pastor doesn't <laughs> understand that he's setting his guy up for or for failure if the senior pastor in that group, uh, ministry specialist, pastor, whatever you call them, um, is, if they're not on the same page. And so in my consulting, every time that I meet with a small group pastor, I'm saying, we've got to have a conversation with your senior pastor. I have to be able to have this conversation with him so he'll understand now what to create as a win. But right. um, there's a great client that I worked with in uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, a huge Assemblies of God church, and um, the senior pastor definitely leaned over here on the growth side. The small group pastor, pastor definitely leaned over here on the control side, right. and they couldn't figure out why they weren't getting momentum. Why aren't we getting together? Had, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had this conversation, and for them it was like this massive aha moment, and the small group guy said, well, to align myself with my senior pastor and the DNA of our church, I need to swing over here to the growth side, no matter how uncom uncomfortable I am right. uh, with it. And so he did that, and all of a sudden their small group ministry exploded. Interesting. So um, uh, understanding your senior pastor and communicating very clearly with your senior pastor, making sure that your senior pastor understands you and the growth control thing is critical for understanding your church DNA. Third one, mm -hmm. um, and we don't like this, uh, <laughs> especially guys like you and me and the kinds of church that we're in, we're contemporary <laughs> churches, we don't like this word, traditions. Right. Um, Traditions speak volumes in the life of churches. And um, in churches that have existed for a long time, um, the church that I'm in has been around for over 30 years, and we do have some traditions. And those are very meaningful to the people in the church. They really kind of do shape how the people in your congregation think and um, how your church does things. And if you ignore traditions just for the sake of what you want to do for small group min uh, ministry, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and you're going to get fired. And um, so practically speaking, understand the traditions of your church, whether that's denominational traditions, um, uh, uh, approaches to small group uh, models or, or, or uh, teaching models, like, you know, hey, we're a King James only church. And then if in your small groups you're saying, no, everybody should use the NLT and be buddies. Right. You know, um, all of a sudden you're going to have some serious tension there. Um, and so you have to understand your tensions, uh, your, your traditions um, regarding your church and your denominational background and how that plays into the kind of small groups that you want to build. And then the fourth one, 
No, so before you jump off the traditions yeah. thing there, um, you know, what would you say, because I, I totally agree that I think that is a, a significant issue, kind of what's happened in the past in your church. Um, yeah. What would you say to a church you know, or church leader who's like, I don't, we don't really have any traditions. Um, they, they do, uh, but how yeah. do you help them mine those out to kind of understand what are those traditions or patterns or rhythms that they've had in the past that might right. impact their small group ministry? Yeah, I, I would say if you think your church doesn't have traditions, even if your church is a year old, you have traditions. Um, wake up and smell right. the coffee. Admit it. Um, so maybe your traditions are every year around February we do a sex series because it fits great with Valentine's Day. Um, or you have traditions like at my church every January, every September we do a small group push. Um, that's right. a, as much a tradition as it is anything else for us. Uh, every summer at our church we do a series about movies because that's a fun, exciting, traditional thing for us. Now, it doesn't seem traditional because when we hear that word, we think right. pipe organs and hymns. Um, but whatever your church does consistently, any kind of consistent celebration, any kind of uh, consistent approach to ministry, that is your tradition. And so uh, I like to, to push back on guys all the time who are in very contemporary churches and say contemporary for you is, is the new traditional. Right. Um, that is your tradition. Yep. So... Um, uh, look at what you do consistently. Uh, look at what you do regularly. What do you come back to? What are the things in your church that seem very, very important to you? And that is a tradition. Um, right. And uh, a lot of young uh, new church plants, uh, like through Acts 29 and whatnot, are uh, uh, very big into Reformed theology. That's a big part of their tradition. They need to understand that. And, and um, uh, those churches, when they, when they um, do resonate with the, the, the um, Reformed theology and then see how that tradition fits into their small group approach and their small group ministry, their small group ministry is much more able to excel. And um, so, anyway. Very cool. Any What's the fourth area you were said we need to consider? Uh, the fourth area, this is one of my favorite ones, and this is picking your problems. Um, a lot of times in ministry, we pick an approach because of all of the upsides to it. Um, but the, the reality is that each of us in ministry, we bring certain skill sets to the table. Each of our churches has certain strengths and certain weaknesses. And we, the better approach is to pick our problems from the models Rather, the problems that we're best equipped to deal with, the problems we want to face, right. rather than pick just the upsides. So um, I, I say it this way, um, and this is not original to me. I don't remember where I heard it, but I say it all the time. So I'm giving credit to some person out there. Um, uh, it, every system has its problems, so it's not as much about picking the right system as it is about picking your problems. And uh, for at life for us at LifeChurch.tv. Um, we knew that we were going to have to lean on the growth side of this whole thing and that that was going to result in some problems. But we admitted to ourselves we're going to be better at uh, cleaning up messes on the back end than we are going to be at creating lots and lots of training events on the front end to prevent messes. Right. And so we chose to err on the side of growth. On, on the side of growth. Now that meant there were messes to clean up. Um, in in the four years that I was there and leading small groups, I can count the number of, of times on one hand where it was really really bad, a, a mess that that had to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But um, 
most of the time it was small little things and so um, we had to implement systems uh, of small group coaching where the coaches were continually coming back and touching base and not hounding not acting like the life church Gestapo um, <laughs> checking in on are you doing your small group correctly you know nothing like that it was just uh, uh, them calling it hey how can we pray for you what's going on in your life it was very relational and in doing so um, the small groups would then reveal uh, here are some things going on in our group that we need prayer about and that would right kind of make us aware of um, uh, pastoral conversations maybe that need to happen. And so at one time we had a, a couple that was living together who started a group. Um, uh, at one time we had a guy start a group who was a militant pacifist. Um, every conversation this guy had was about uh, anti-war. And um, at the time, George Bush was the president, and everything was about how evil George Bush was. And I don't care what the subject was. I mean, the subject could have been marriage, and he turned it to pol politics and military. And uh, so one day, a, a Marine shows up to his group, not knowing what this group oh, was gosh. like. And oh, the Marine just about punched the guy out. I mean, you know, we had to have some conversations about this. And... Um, uh, it, it was uh, it was difficult um, from time to time, but you know what? We knew we had picked the problems we were best equipped to deal with. And right. so I tell churches that all the time. Would you rather, in small group ministry, when you're considering this growth and control stuff, would you rather have more groups faster and the, the messes and chaos that comes with that, or would you have rather have more groups slower and the pain of slow growth. Right. Uh, which are the problems that you want to have? So there we go. Right. Very cool. Well, this has been uh, this has been fantastic. This is like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> a lot to think about uh, today. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we jump into the lightning round? Um, you know, just about these. You know, this DNA kind of digging in or learning more about uh, your church's DNA. Um. Yeah. You know. Um. There's a. Uh, this information doesn't just come from from my experience right. uh, at my own church. It, it, it comes from consulting lots of churches all over the country. And so I saw some of this at play, certainly at Life Church. Um, when I left Life Church and started doing consulting, I really saw them in play all over the place. And so um, I get a lot of pushback from senior pastors typically saying, you haven't convinced me, I still want growth and control. Right. And um, my, my answer to them is, man, I could sit here and, and argue with you till we're blue in the face, um, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste your time and mine. All I want to do is tell you that what I'm talking about today doesn't just come from, hey, here's Alan's opinion. This right. comes from what I've witnessed in just a massive number of churches all across the country, uh, whether I've gone to visit them or had um, Skype chats with them or teleconferences or whatever the case, um, it's 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 this is very very real. It's very very prevalent. And um, if you sit down and you do the hard work of determining the DNA of your church, it will help you pick and choose the small group models that work best for you, and it will help you create the small group model that really works best in your context. This is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. All right, well, we've now entered the lightning round. Today we have Alan Danielson uh, on, the, uh, on the line. Super excited to have him here today. Alan, what is an online resource that you're using these days that you know, you're finding particularly helpful in your ministry? Gotcha. When I listen to your podcast, I hear this question, and 
I'm like, oh man, he, everybody's using the other stuff, so I have to come up with something <laughs> original here. Um, uh, so here, here are a few things. Um, churchleaders.com is one of my favorites. I sign up for them. Uh, of course, I write for them, um, but uh, love, love, love that website. So many good resources. It Absolutely. kind of distills some of the best of the best of all the blogging out there and helps you find those really good articles really fast. If you haven't been using churchleaders.com or following them, highly recommend it. Um, go to that website, sign up for some of those emails today. Big, big help. Um, uh, also, Basecamp uh, is something that our church is using a lot right now. We're in transition. <laughs> moving into a new building and so we've got all kinds of base camp projects for each of the, the segments of this whether it's finding the new location uh, building it out what we're doing with City Hall we have all of this stuff recorded in base camp it's a great product management or project management tool and uh, then my, my favorite uh, uh, ongoing church related resource that I've been using for the last several years is churchteams.com or uh, they're, they're a cloud-based church management software that uh, our church just loves and they are especially good at the small group side of things they're comprehensive they do everything from kids check-in to um, uh, donor tracking and you know get following up on guests all that kind of stuff but uh, their small group component is the best of the best out there and, and so we, we absolutely love them Oh, that's good. I know a lot of churches are, it seems like everybody's always looking for a new church management system. So uh, another one for people to check out, you know, yep. churchteams.com uh, for sure. Uh, what's a book you've read in the last, you know, say six months or so uh, that's been shaping your thinking or your ministry? Uh, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. That uh, book was phenomenal, um, and almost every day I'm thinking about that book in trying to challenge my own assumptions about life and mm -hmm. uh, uh, think very differently. It was good for, for getting outside the normal uh, patterns that I tend to think in and has right. been really helpful for me. I, helpful for me. I, I highly recommend it. Nice. What's a church or ministry that's uh, that you're kind of looking up to these days that's that's impacting you? Oh gosh, there's several. Um, LifeChurch.tv, of course, still good friends. I'm still very close to them geographically and personally. Mm -hmm. uh, love what uh, the guys there are doing. Uh, Seacoast Church, uh, where Greg Surratt is pastor, um, they are one of my favorite churches from a developing a good healthy relational staff um, I, I really love what they're doing and then uh, a church that many have not heard of but probably should is East Lake Church in San Diego Absolutely. it's actually Chula Vista California I love the guys at East Lake um, they are uh, uh, doing a phenomenal job out there mm -hmm. and uh, James Grogan is uh, their number two guy he and I have become good friends over the years and uh, I, I really appreciate them for um, the great ideas that they've shared with me the inspiration that they have been for me personally and um, so I highly recommend you guys look them up and uh, look at what they're doing it's it's really cool that's two weeks in a row that a leader has said East Lake Church so, really wow yeah, uh, last week's <clears throat> podcast guest uh, Chris to Hesselink listed East Lake as well, so okay, um, that's like, it's a great church for sure. People need to uh, to check them out. They're doing some incredible stuff. Um, if you could get 15 minutes with any leader that's alive today, uh, who would you want to get that with, and why? Oh man, it it would without a doubt be Rick Warren. Um, oh nice. Since I read The Purpose Driven Church back in 1995, I felt like what Rick Warren writes is what I would have written had I been able to articulate it. Um, <laughs> right. I just was like, this is so much my heart. Um, right. And uh, then our church in Santa Fe, we were one of the first churches in America that did 40 Days of Purpose. Okay. And um, they sent us an unproofed copy 
spiral bound of the purpose driven life. That's one of my favorite possessions. I still have it. Uh, it had cool. errors in it and stuff like that. And uh, again, that book, as I read it, it was like, this is just so, it so resonates with my soul and with who I am. And I've become good friends with Steve Gladen and Rod Wilbur out there at Saddleback. And I've spoken at their conference and done stuff uh, with the, the 12s conference, that the 12 conference that they did online. Um, got a great relationship with those guys, but I've never met Rick. And I would love to sit down with him and just say, listen, man, um, I have read your leadership materials for years. I've followed your, your teaching and you have inspired me um, almost as much as mentors that I know personally. And right. uh, that's a guy I would love to spend some time with. Well, he's the Pope, really. So you know. That's right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's great. All right. So in your personal time, when you're not uh, trying to figure out your church's DNA or trying to help other churches around the country, uh, what do you do for fun? Well, if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, you will know <laughs> I knew where that, this was uh, that I, I love Star Wars. Um, I have a, a massive Star Wars addiction I have since 1977. First time I saw the movie, I was nice. about five or six years old, and I was hooked. I've collected Star Wars stuff my whole life. Um, I tease people all the time. I say a lot of pastors have pictures of Republicans and Jesus in their office, uh, but I have Star Wars junk. And so... Um, it, it's always fun to see the first reaction of people when they walk into my office because there's lightsaber on the wall, there's a giant statue of Darth Vader, and um, all a stormtrooper helmet, all sorts of things in my office that just so you know, reek of geekery. So uh, I'm a proud nerd. I'm not ashamed to uh, let the geek flag fly. Nice. That's fantastic. Actually, you could help me with something. My son and I got talking about this the other night. Okay. Um, when does do those next Star Wars movies come out? When? What, what are they? You know, remember Disney they bought them? They're coming out in December of 2015. It was okay. supposed to be May of 2015, but uh, they ran into a few snags, I think, with writing the screenplay and slowed it down a bit. So it's going to be a holiday release, 2015. It cannot come soon enough. Oh, I'm excited for those. I'm, I, I think with the fact that Disney bought them, I think it's great. Yes, I think that's a fantastic I think it's Sure. Well, Alan, I really appreciate you being on the show today. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about your ministry, um, how can they do that? Uh, they can reach me on my website. Uh, the website is 3threat.net. Uh, that's the letter or the number three and then the word threat for triple threat.net. And uh, my, my consulting company is called Triple Threat Solution. Uh, th solutions focus a lot on uh, uh, trip, what I call triple threat leadership. And uh, I won't get into all that now, but if they want for more information, they can go there or they can follow me on Twitter. It's just at Alan Danielson, A-L-A-N-D-A-N-I-E-L-S-O-N, or they can find me at facebook.com slash Alan Danielson. And uh, that'd be a great way to get in touch with me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.